John 17, 20 to 22. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Please be seated. All right, good morning. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. My name is Dave, um, the lead pastor here at uh, Redemption Tucson. Actually, I want to check here. Do I need to move up a little bit? Okay, I'm good right here because I can't look too short. We figured out in the past that someone who talks taller than me and stands in the same place, most of their head is cut off, and that's like everyone. Um, so I, uh, I have to kind of figure this out and get it just right. So um, that said, as I said um, in the introduction there, my name is Dave, and um, we're going to get into a, a, sh- a short kind of two-week series here for a couple weeks um, on unity and, um, and love and the priority of unity together as God's people. And um, I actually thought I might need to give a little explanation there because I usually stutter all, all the time. But specifically on that word, unity, I've noticed I stutter a lot on it. And I was going to even do something funny, have a little note card and hold it up whenever I could, couldn't say it or have you say it with me at home or whatever. But obviously, in light of where we are right now, um, even as I was preparing for this, the difficulty in that word for me to just say it is a fraction of the reality of how difficult it is for us to live it, for us to feel it, for us to experience it. And as was said earlier, and I just want to again acknowledge, um, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we love you. We're, we're celebrating with you and simultaneously grieving together. Um, this is a, a Sunday that's every year difficult for some people in our midst. It, um, even I was just talking to a friend, one good friend just had a baby um, a day ago and welcomed um, their child into this world and yet was quickly reminded, this is the world we're bringing our child into. Our family can't even come see the baby or see us in the hospital. Um, right, what we just talked about and confess and acknowledge the brokenness of racial injustice, the evil in the world around us. So it's been said, and I'd love to say, oh yeah, they, they said it. I, I want to also just acknowledge and, and look at you and tell you if you're a part of our community or, or even if you're not and you just happen to have stumbled uh, upon this, um, I love you. And, um, and, and, and do confess um, participation in r- racism, in evil, and in injustice, um, in remain, remaining silent when it doesn't directly impact me or I think it doesn't directly impact me. And um, it's not the way it should be. And in this season that we're in right now, um, we had actually planned this a couple of well, weeks ago across all of redemption to walk through this sermon series for two weeks of unity. 
And it's in part because of COVID-19 and as we begin to prepare to kind of go back into like opening up and, you know, what is that going to look like? And I think the reality that we know it is that um, already it's going to be impacted, right? That we, we're not going to get it right as a church in everyone's eyes, that in some people's eyes and just FYI, we don't have any dates. We don't have any specific plans for what it'll look like. We're praying about it. We're talking about it. We're trying to figure it out. But before we even get into all that, this is most important, right? That we look at God's heart for his people, his reconciled people, that we would be unified, that we would stand apart, that we would be, be different. And yet you can probably, just like me looking ahead, just expect what it's going to be like, right? Right? Someone shows up on a Sunday morning wearing a mask and they're already pigeonholed as being afraid, as fearful, faithless, right? Um, believing the farce, buying into the news, whatever, and then just kind of pigeonholed and made into the other. And then someone else shows up and is trying to greet someone with a holy hug, right, or handshake, and they're instantly pigeonholed and signed off as, oh, you're, uh, one person I actually heard was, was, was referred to as, as, or one community was referred to as, as perpetuating genocide because they, their belief or their conviction about how they were gathering together didn't line up with someone else's belief on that. And it's like, wow, well, we've got to go to Jesus. And I'll just be totally straight here. Um, I was actually talking to Kristen earlier, I prepared a ton for this and I've really poured into it. And um, at the same time, I feel compelled to really depend on the Holy Spirit, even as we go together before the word of God today to see what he wants to do in us, what he wants to say to us, how he wants to shape us. I don't want to rely too much on my own preparation, though the spirit was there and was guiding me and all that as well. But I, I want to see where he's going to lead us. Okay. Cause again, um, even as we pray, I want to acknowledge this right now, right? That some of us, even myself as a pastor felt a need to lead through a sermon series on unity because we have to, because COVID-19 is kind of forcing us right now to, but I have the privilege of living under the farce that we have been unified, right? Oh, if we could go back to how things have been to the, how things are normal. We're in 2020, right? A election year. We've known that this is gonna be a polarizing, difficult year. There are people, again, as we've talked about, especially people of color who I think live every day in light of this world, wondering um, when do I have to put on a different jersey to participate in the world this way so harm won't come to me or so I can have other you know, benefits and I can kind of keep up and then when do I need to put that jersey aside and, and be my more true self and live in light like we are a disunified people. And so our only hope, okay, now hear me, church, as we get into this together. As I said before, I, I want you to hear from me. I, I love you. Wherever we fall, even as we talk about COVID-19 or other things, what I want to ask you is to pause. That right now as we pray, let's recognize our desperate need for Jesus. I don't get it right. This isn't a time where I have it all right and I shame you for not getting it right or vice versa. No, all we can do right now is go to Jesus, confess and be comforted and respond to him. 
And that's my prayer. That's in this next time we have together that we will see him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you so desperately. Lord, everything in me wanted this to be a more lighthearted time to kind of have some jokes and to just, I, I wanted that. I wanted affirmation. I wanted to, I wanted to feel good. Even I, I talked about during sermon prep right here, I, I was almost, I, I was selfish in the sense of like, oh man, I really wanted this to go a different way. And then the news came out about Ahmad Arbery. Lord, may we not forget his name May we on Mother's Day, while we celebrate our own moms or enter into and walk through our own situations, let us think about his mom. Lord, let us think about the countless number of moms in our country and around the world who have suffered all kinds of injustice and brokenness and evil. And in that, Lord Jesus, we don't want to hurry to get it right or to say the most smart, profound, provocative thing. Lord, we, we want you. We need you, Lord Jesus. How long will we continue to stumble over ourselves? Lord Jesus, we need your kingdom to come. We need your will to be done. We need you to set things right. Come, Lord Jesus. Now in this moment, send your spirit to lead us, to unify us, to heal us. Lord, to comfort the brokenhearted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I think as we dive into a conversation like this, as we talk about unity and being unified and prioritizing that, I, I think what's helpful is we acknowledge fear. Okay, fear, our own fear, your own fear. And some of us, we don't like to acknowledge that. We like to think, oh, I don't have fears. What am I afraid of? As I was thinking about this myself, I, I was brought back to, and perhaps because of Mother's Day, a time where my mom would talk to me at night before I went to sleep. And I was afraid of Russia. All right, you might be thinking, oh, when, why is that? That, that doesn't sound like that makes, well, um, it, and I was actually looking into this this week. In February 22nd, 1980, what happened? Do you believe in miracles, right? The miracle on ice. The U.S., the underdog, defeated Russia in hockey. And if you've ever seen the movie, Miracle, things like that. Well, I was two and a half months old when that happened. I didn't know that's the exact date when it happened, but I was born November 1979. So I grew up in kind of this heightened element of what's known as the Cold War, right? And we would watch movies, Rocky IV. Um, what's the one with the Wolverines? Oh, Red Dawn, right? Take down big bad Russia. And some of you that are older than me, you guys remember that. You remember some of the very real fears. Well, somehow at school or something like that, I remember learning about like we could get nuked, right? Like atom bombs, there's this whole missile war and standoff and all these things. And I was so afraid. And there was even in my young heart, I didn't know it at the time, but an anti-Russian sentiment right? A disunity and othering, a dehumanizing because of my own fear. And my mom, what she did, and again, probably because of Mother's Day, my mom has Alzheimer's. She's in a home. I haven't been able to see her for like, what, two months now. We get to talk on the phone. But um, I was thinking about my mom. She wasn't a perfect person by any means. But in that moment, what she helped me do, she taught me empathy. I didn't even know it. But in that moment, she walks through, imagine a boy right now in Russia, talking to his own mom. 
How would you want him to think of you? You think he's afraid? And she kind of unpacked to me the reality of the situation. And what that recognized for me, what that helped me acknowledge, and now even as I think about it, is how important it is that we recognize our own fear, right? As we talk about unity, we can do all we want, right? We could do, you know, cheers, we could talk about it, we could sing songs, we could think about this, but we're not gonna be a unified people till we confess, till we feel safe enough, if you will, to pause and to recognize what keeps us from unity, what keeps us from oneness, what keeps us um, continuing to think of other people who aren't like us, to think of them as co-image bearers, as equals, as, as friends. What keeps us othering them, villainizing them? It's, it's fear. And what fear does is it leaves us in a place of one, protecting ourselves at all costs, no matter what, and also staying disengaged until we're absolutely forced to enter in. As we've talked about, those of us who have the privilege, who have the opportunity, the freedom to not care, right? What's going on? The, you hear about the absolute hunger crisis right now, directly connected to COVID-19. It's only going to get worse. And the millions of people in places like India, in places like Guatemala, where we have partnerships, where people are dying in the thousands because of lack of food. And we don't really have to engage in that. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. We're going to walk a bit through Philippians chapter two together. And we're going to go to a couple other places, but look at what Jesus does. Okay, read with me here in Philippians chapter two. Um, see, we'll start out in verse, uh, in verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this whole part that those two verses acknowledge, this isn't our natural mind. Again, I think in order for us to have any hope of, of healing, of growth, of unity, to be something different, we need to stop and recognize where we actually are, all right? A, a Facebook post um, is not gonna all of a sudden make us one. All right. It's not. I think what's helpful is we acknowledge where we actually are in kind of theological terms. It's the fallen condition. It's the result of sin. And the fact is, because of sin, we all ultimately will do whatever it takes to protect ourselves and to protect our own and to stay as far away from pain and difficulty as we possibly can. All right, that's naturally where we are. And that's the same thing what we see there. That's assumed in verses four and five. But then the charge is, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what is the mind of Jesus? Again, let's look at Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, how much you and I right now, again, in this posture of confession and acknowledging our own fear, how, much, how quickly do you um, run to entitlement? 
well, my rights right now are this. I, I demand to get groceries the way I want to get groceries, when I want to get groceries, how I want to get groceries. I, I want this. I want that. I want it all to happen the way I want it to be, right? That's just a flinch. That's, you don't have to teach a kid entitlement and greed and selfishness. That's naturally who we are. If anyone had the right to entitlement, is it not Jesus? Who's Jesus? Well, he's God, right? He created all of us. He created everything that we're in. And he, how much could he have just disengaged and just said, you made your bed, sleep in it. All right, I know this sounds crass, but how much could he have just said, to hell with you all. But what do we see in Jesus? Self-sacrifice. He took on the form of humility, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Man, I, I hope that in this place we're in, we can recognize the beauty of Jesus's self-sacrifice, that he did what you and I would never, ever do on our own. We can't do. We're enslaved to a place of, of selfishness, of entitlement, of I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to stay disengaged from everyone else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to other the other person. Someone comes into um, wearing a mask and I think, and, so, and we don't usually get this deep, but we acknowledge, oh, that I have some fears and that I'm going to respond to that with, with spite because of what's going on because of my own enslavement to sin or, oh, that person is not wearing a sin. Well, or not, sorry, they're all, we're all wearing sin. Amen. No, that person is not wearing a, a, a mask. Well, I'm going to other them. I'm going to lash out on them. I'm going to call because, well, my, my mom is vulnerable. My wife is vulnerable. I am vulnerable. I'm immunocompromised or whatever it might be. And I have fears and, and fears drive us. And yet look at Jesus in his beauty and his glory. He takes on pain. He doesn't protect himself and he moves toward the problem, even though he doesn't have to at great cost to himself. And then in these next verses, verses nine through 11, we see, we kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture. The bigger part of the story here is that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. What we see here is an if then a condition because of Jesus's humility and self-sacrifice, because he descended, because he took on humility, God, the father exalted him. Right? We see that. That's the way of Jesus. You can hear me right now. As we consider, how do we engage in this present moment we find ourselves in? Well, the way of Jesus says, give of yourself. And through that comes glory. Through that comes freedom. And his plan for us goes even further, even deeper. Why? Why be unified? Why take a couple of weeks here to talk about, let's prioritize unity and, and love together so we can all feel better, so we can, let's just be straight here, so we can get back to me meeting at Safford and so we can keep everyone happy and kind of navigate it and people will keep on, you know, tithing and we won't take a big hit from the church because one side doesn't think we do it just right and all this. No, ultimately because it is God's plan. His plan is to reveal himself through a reconciled people, a unified 
people. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, and we tend to read that and think individual, right? I don't know if, you, if you've ever memorized that passage, you think individual. Well, me, work out my own salvation, do this. There's a plurality, a communal element involved in this. That All the work that Jesus did, his, his way of salvation for you and me, reconciling us to God the Father is so that we may be on display, trophies of his grace, reconciled to each other, and that his good news, his gospel, his glory, his power would be displayed, look, through you and through me and through your neighbor and through, and through people that we want to other, that we want to villainize, that we want to accuse through us being reconciled together counterintuitively by the work of Jesus, he puts himself on display. Amen? And that's so hard. How do we do this, right? Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? That's easy to read. How easy is that for you? Look at your Again, your Facebook, whatever. Look at your, your, your conversations this last week. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. God's plan is that we would shine brightly. Has that been the case? Not just over the last two months, in the last number of years, the last thousands of years. Again, let's make it more personal and in our interactions with each other and our Facebook conversations and our texts and how we, how we think about other people. Do, do we put God's, God's good news on display? Um, as we read earlier, Sarah read in the scripture reading John, John chapter 17, right? where Jesus is praying for us. And this is right before he would die. What's his prayer? What's his priority? I don't ask for these only, but also for those who, you, who will believe in me through their, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that... Why does God want us to be a unified people? Why does he want us to be a reconciled people? Why does, he, why does he care about how you and I interact with the news that we get about um, an, an another uh, unarmed black man getting killed and then it taking two months for that news to come out and for those people who did it to be at least interviewed? Like, for a long time, at least investigated, pressed into. Why, 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 it like, why does what comes from us, from our hearts, what's the first flinch, right? It's not oneness. It's not, let me, James 119, let me be slow to speak. Let me actually try to understand. Right, and let me just say right now, because we've, we've said this before, and, it, and, and I'm, I, again, I love you, and I pray this sinks so deeply into us. The gospel is social. 
We want to make a social gospel versus whatever, the right gospel, the real gospel. You cannot separate. I Look at the scriptures and separate being reconciled to God and God's plan to reconcile us to one another. It's not there. I will go so far as to say that is unbiblical. That's not the gospel if it's separate from having a social reality. It's all over the scriptures, everywhere. Romans, right? I, I love Romans. I have read Romans wrong for a long time and just seeing, oh, it's in the courtroom. It's, it's all about just God the judge and reconciling me and you know a, a sinner um, who, who, who demands um, or who, who requires and deserves to be, to be um, justly treated and accused and, and then Jesus substitutes steps in and replaces me. That is all there and that is all true. But Romans is bookended in chapter one and all the way at the very end with this call for unity so that God's, God's plan will be on display. Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter 12, right? As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans chapter 14. Ne next week, Gary Nebuchadnezzar and I are actually gonna walk through this sermon a little bit differently and we're gonna get into some of the really practical elements of what does this actually look like for us as a church? And we're gonna dive into Romans 14 and walk through their context and how directly that applies to us today of being an empathetic people. And it's all throughout scripture, 1 Corinthians 8 and 13, right? 1 Peter, it, it, all over the place. You can't see Jesus's plan not including reconciling us. Even who did he gather? Right? I, I just think this is so important. We missed this. He gathered a tax collector and zealots and everything in between. Those people hated each other, abused each other, not othered right, each other. Like there was no desire to be reconciled. Like they were a segregated, hate-filled community. And yet Jesus chose to make his first earliest followers from people that you would not be able to gather under the same roof, same roof, other than Jesus. He, he, it's counterintuitive. I, I confess I've taken it for granted for a long time. Oh yeah, you, let's just be unified. It's, it's impossible. All right, Galatians chapter five. I wanna turn here as I was looking through this. In Galatians chapter five, we see this call in, in verse 14, the in and of ourselves outside of God's intervention, this is what we do, right? The call is love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 15, what's our propensity? If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. U unity is impossible, all right? There you go, happy Mother's Day, end of let's pray. No, like, but we've got we've to recognize the truth. We don't know how to be unified. We, we can't be unified in and of ourselves, right? Our fallen condition, our sin nature is inward oriented, is self-protective, is, is, is absent, is stay away from problems unless it directly affects me. All right, we're outside of God's intervention. We're cannibals, right? Look at your neighbor, look at your kid and say, you're a cannibal, right? It's okay to call your kid a cannibal on Mother's Day. But 
further down in Galatians chapter five, we see the fruit of the spirit. And this is, it's necessary. Outside of what Jesus did, what you and I would never do, what we looked at in Philippians chapter two, he gave up himself. He did what we would never do. He, he didn't protect himself, he gave of himself, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't stay out of other people's problems, he dove headfirst into them to solve them as only he can do. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to bring about in you and me what we never could on our own. Read through verses 22 and 23 with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Church, what if those fruits define us? As we prepare to come back together, as society opens up a bit, as we think about, right, coming together, are we more defined by cannibalism, by fear, by, by hatred, by anger? Or what if God puts something on display through us? What if we hear news about Ahmad Arbery and we're actually gentle, patient, kind? We actually, James 119, we're slow to speak and quick to listen. We wanna understand how someone else is processing that. What if God wants to put his beauty, his glory on display through us, a unified, reconciled people. And as I started with, I want to end with, we need Jesus. We need him so desperately. So let's go to him together, even if we're in separate places right now, in prayer, in song, in communion, and cry out for him. He's our only hope. Lord Jesus, we do need you. I don't know what people are feeling right now, or I don't know where we're at as a church. We haven't gathered together physically in a long time. I don't know what it's gonna look like when we do come together in different phases and stages and different fears are expressed in different ways. If anything, from this time together in this sermon in your word, I hope we recognize you're our only hope. I hope we recognize that outside of your work, outside of your intervention, we are ununified. We're angry, we're afraid, we're hurtful, we're cannibalistic, we devour one another. So Lord Jesus, would you do the work in us that only you can do? Lord, form us, shape us as your people, and, and by your grace, your glory is revealed through that, through us, united together in love, the love of Jesus. Amen.